the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God, questions about the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. Would love to take your calls, 303-873-1935. As always, we talk a little bit about history. We also talk about uh, prophecy, which is the future. And uh, my friend uh, Joel Rosenberg has an interesting article uh, posted at All Israel News about uh, uh, the number of people, both Christians and Jews, who believe that this invasion of the Ukraine by Russia has prophetic implications. And I'm happy to talk about that as well. 303 873-1935. Probably at the top of the news today is the fact that the Senate has confirmed Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. Um, news outlets all over the United States are calling it a quote-unquote historic moment. And I guess it, it, it is a historic moment in the fact that the first black woman to sit on the nation's highest bench has been confirmed by the United States Senate. What um, is often ignored is the fact that a black woman was considered over a decade ago um, for the United States Supreme Court, but was blocked by the Democrats. Um, it just so happened that that particularly that particular black woman happened to be a conservative instead of a liberal. And a few days ago, I um, suggested that there's probably no doubt that she would be confirmed. She probably uh, not probably she won't be assuming the role of a an associate justice until after. Judge Stephen Breyer retires at the end of this term, but again, her her confirmation was almost assured. But one of the things that there's so many things about her ideology, her belief about how to think about the Constitution and about justice are so unbelievably flawed. And when she was asked the issue about what what is a woman she said i'm not a bi biologist but she was also asked about well her position on natural rights and you'll remember that she disturbingly said i don't have a position on whether or not individuals have natural rights and of course, we've talked about the fact that every living man and woman, regardless of their race and gender and religion and social status, have natural rights. And these natural rights come from God. They do not come from 
the government. The Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And so part of the challenge that we have is that as we think about those rights, we have the freedom to think, we have the freedom to speak, we have freedoms of association, we have the freedom to worship, we have the we have the natural right, and, and I'm going to say the God-given right to life and liberty and property and the pursuit of a happiness. And it's not the government's role to create those rights, but rather to protect those rights. And so, again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Her confirmation, by the way, was 53 to 47. There were several Republican senators who jumped ship to vote for um, the candidate, Katanji Brown-Jackson, and... Again, uh, the most conservative members of the Democratic caucus, including Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, backed her in recent days. The the, the Senate was seemingly split at 50-50. Democrats control it thanks to uh, holding the seat of the Senate president, which is the vice president, Kamala Harris. So had the Republicans not jumped ship, she still could have won by that split vote of the vice president. Jackson received support from all members of the Democratic caucus, as well as from three Republicans, Senators Susan Collins, who's sort of an icon in Maine. And her reasoning was so disturbing of why she supported the judge. Now, what's interesting to me, she's a self-identified Republican, but she blocked and voted against Amy Coney Barrett, but supported Katanji Brown-Jackson, which, and of course, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, and everybody's favorite, Mitt Romney from Utah. President Biden, of course, a Democrat, nominated Jackson to fill the seat of uh, Justice Stephen Breyer, who's retiring. She's 51, which means that from if the past is any indication of the future, she could serve for as long as three decades. It is, of course, a lifetime position. Supreme Court justices aren't bound by limits, and there's no age requirement that you have to retire. But um, Jackson previously served as judge on the United States Supreme or the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Um, The president of the United States said that Judge Jackson's confirmation is a historic moment. Certainly is. He said we've taken another step toward making our highest court reflect the diversity of America. Now, again, what we have to ask and answer, is that really the goal? Is it to make the court look diverse? And does ideology 
matter. And so, um, like I said, she won't take her seat until this summer when Justice Breyer officially steps down. President Bill Clinton, a Democrat, nominated Breyer to the court, and Breyer voted with the Liberal Caucus over the past three decades. He, of course, also absolutely voted to uphold legalized abortion. And we didn't get a chance to talk a whole lot about it, but Colorado has, in fact, written into law the most draconian and wicked abortion law in America. And perhaps in the world, there's only North Korea and China that has a more wicked abortion law internationally. And of course, religious groups expressed concern over Judge Jackson's um, approval. One person said, although Judge Jackson conceded religious liberty is a fundamental right, we remain unconvinced that she will protect that right based on her repeated refusals to specify her judicial philosophy and what she believes the meaning of this phrase is, free exercise of religion. It's pretty important you understand that phrase and what it means. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. 303-873-1935. That's the number, 303-873-1935, if you'd like to join me on the program. And um, we were talking about the confirmation of Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson and her position on natural rights and religious freedom. And, of course, because she was unable to articulate that, I'm hoping that, um, well, I, I don't have much hope that she is going to vote any other way other than along radically um, progressive, leftist, woke ideology. 303-873-1935. And speaking of religious freedom and the opposition to religious freedom, there's another headline that I'd like to get to. This is at christianheadlines.com. 303-873-1935 is my number if you'd like to call me on the program. Again, easy to do. Pick up that phone, dial the number 303-873-1935. The uh, there's a new Chinese law that went into effect last month that bans the word Christ on social media. And according to the Chinese Communist Party, their reason for banning the word Christ is because they says they, the, the Chinese Communist Party says it causes their word, not mine, incitement. So... Um, According to a new report, the policy also requires licensing and training to post Christian 
and religious content on the Internet. The Chinese Communist Party's new law dubbed, quote, measures for the administration of Internet religious information services, unquote, prohibits individuals and organizations from posting religious information on the Internet unless they have first obtained permission from a provincial government department, according to China Aid, which monitors religious freedom within the country. And um, Early Rain Covenant Church, a Chinese congregation, recently discovered the far-reaching impact of the new law. Using the messaging app WeChat, a church member tried posting the names of eight books for members of a reading group, asking them to vote on their favorite. Among the titles that were submitted, quote, The Defense of the Faith by Cornelius Van Til, Tradition and the Individual Talent by T.S. Eliot, and The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. But the WeChat app rejected the post, saying the word Christ was not allowed. Quote, the word Christ, in, in quotes, you are trying to publish violates regulations on Internet information services, including but not limited to the following categories. Pornography, gambling, drug abuse, excessive marketing, incitement. So imagine, imagine, imagine the word Christ, according to the Chinese Communist Party, gets placed into the same categories as pornography, gambling, drug abuse, excess marketing, excessive marketing. They refer to all of those things as things that lead to incitement. 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to call me. Uh, according to China Aid, they said, quote, well, before that, the issue couldn't be resolved by editing the post, which the church member did. It says, unfortunately, according to China Aid, the group administrator had to replace part of the word Christ to pass censorship, unquote. So the watchdog group also noted that under the new Chinese Communist Party law, individuals and organizations must undergo government training and obtain an Internet religious information service license in order to post religious information on the Internet. Yet even then, the content must conform to the Chinese Communist Party's beliefs on religion and government. It says, quote, anyone who posts content with the purpose of inciting the state power, using religion, objecting to the Chinese Communist Party's leadership, obstructing the socialism system, damaging national reunification, or harming the unity of various ethnic groups and social stability, shall be punished, unquote. And of course, this is found at 
China aid. And of course, there's two places. Um, you can go to ChinaAid.org, and um, there's an article that's been posted earlier this week saying that that Chinese messaging app censors the word Christ. And um, so there's a couple of places you can go to get that ChinaAid.org. And of course, if you're a Chinese, if you're if you're a person of Chinese national origin, I th- I think this is something that you should uh, be very much concerned about. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. That's the number. Now, again, when we ask and we answer the question, then what is it about socialism, communism? that seems so attractive since when you look at socialism and communism, there's an an invariable commitment not to just diminish and erode religious freedom, but to participate in active eradication. And so this hostility towards Christianity, what I'm about to say is going to probably surprise you. The hostility that socialism and communism has towards biblical Christianity is well-deserved. Do you want to know why? Because biblical Christianity is, in fact, a threat to godlessness and socialist ideology and socialist policies. There's lots and lots of reasons why socialism is is both an ideological and a political failure. 303-873-1935, that's my number. If you'd like to join me on the program, my friend Jim Dennison has posted at the Dennison Forum and also at ChristianHeadlines.com. Um, an interesting article. Um, But I want to hopefully get to Joel Rosenberg's article as well on this issue of Ukraine and Russia from a prophetic standpoint. So we're going to try to get to that. 303-873-1935, that's the number, if you want to join me on the program. And a couple of other things at Breakpoint with John Stone Street and Timothy Pageant, they have an excellent article just a day ago on another um, archaeological discovery affirms the historicity of the Bible. And of course, the Associates for Biblical Research uh, dug up the oldest known letters of Hebrew that talk about um, a biblical verse, which is fairly interesting. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number 303-873-1935. That's the number. Let's see who's up. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. 
So uh, I was looking at atheist shows on YouTube, and uh, one problem they have is the Genesis, the beginning part. And I was like, well, I'm going to go back and read that. And I did. And then, um, well, you know Easter's coming up. Sure. So um, This is Palm Sunday, by the way. This Sunday, and by the way, I happen to be teaching at Calvary South Denver this Sunday and uh, inviting everybody to come out. But keep going. Well, there's the part in one fourteen. Yeah, Genesis one fourteen. Okay. Uh, you know all about uh, how people are into astrology. Sure. So that seems like a bad thing. Like we've run off in this tangent and we're going nowhere with it in that thinking. But it does say that part. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say that you should be into astrology. It says in verse 14, literally it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So when we talk about astronomy and astrology, we're talking about two different things. So the the Bible never, ever actually says you should worship them or you should look to them um, for guidance. So the Bible says that God arranged the stars into recognizable patterns so that they could be for signs and for seasons. And as you can imagine... look at the stars to tell you anything. Well, that's exactly right. Part of the challenge, of course, is that is is the idea that the stars themselves offer us information. Now, in, in, a, in a real sense, the stars do offer, offer us some kinds of information, and that is that we live in an amazing world. The Bible says that the stars, along with the sun and the moon, were for signs and seasons. This is a, an idiomatic way of saying they're to mark time. But signs, in this sense, I'm going to suggest to you, isn't astrology, but rather navigational indicators. You can imagine in the ancient world, mariners used the North Star for guidance. And, of course, throughout history, human beings used charts to chart their course around the globe. But then God also used stars as an illustration. The Lord drew Abraham's attention to uh, the stars and suggested that his seed would be like them. He said, look up into the night sky. So it became a sort of um, reminder of God's faithfulness and goodness. But I would be lying to you if I said that the ancient world didn't have um, a sophisticated astrological worldview. In other words, as they were, they would look up at the stars and they would ask themselves, well, what is this? And, and what's it supposed to tell us? And did certain people believe that the stars impacted your destiny? The answer is yes, people did believe that, but the Bible condemns that in Isaiah chapter 47, 
um, verses 13 and 14, it says, you are wearied with, uh, you are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand and save you. Those who divide the heavens and who gaze at the stars, at the new moons who uh, make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they're like stubble. The fire consumes them. They won't be able to deliver you. So, both in Isaiah 47, verses 13 and 14, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, there's an express prohibition to uh, use astrology or the stars as a form of divination. But what about the part where it says, the warning verses, where it's saying, watch, there'll be signs that whole thing. Yeah, that's not a problem in, in the sense of when you talk about... But I thought it'd be a sign where it was this obvious, I'm very gonna su- unusual yeah, thing. I, yeah, I'm going to suggest to you that everyone it's... Everyone sees it. Yeah, I'm going to suggest you it's a, it's a sort of an astronomical, astronomical phenomenon. But I'm going to suggest to you that it's even way more... Um, I'm going to use the term disastrous. Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but imagine if the Earth's rotation suddenly changed, or what if suddenly the North Pole became the South Pole, and the South Pole became the North Pole, and literally the Earth, in some sort of dramatic fashion, changed its rotation or trajectory. It would look like the sky is falling. I am going to suggest to you that the Bible seems to indicate that one of the signs that's going to take place in the end is catastrophic events in the heavens, the sun and the moon and the stars. Now, does that mean that they're going to literally fall from the sky? It's going to look that way. If the Earth's trajectory changed or rotation changed, so the, so the Bible gives the signs of nature. Chino, Chino, I, I know you have a lot to deal with, but I know you've studied enough. You're paying attention to these things, right? I am. Um, you know, the seismic stuff in the earth, earth changes, and then in the skies, all that sort of thing. Astronomy. Well, again, you're, you're, you brought you're it up. Attention to the sun. You said, what are we supposed to do with like Luke 21, 11, where it says there will this, be this, earthquakes, plagues, famines. Is Easter. Okay, go ahead. Is Easter significant? Of course it is. I mean, I'm in the sense... The date that somehow we ended up choosing, is this somehow... Well, remember, the way that they chose the date is in early on in the second and the third century, they wanted Easter to always fall on Sunday. And so if you're asking the question, um, is that, is it a pagan holiday or is what it I'm really asking Gino is you've paid attention to it. What do you, what have you thought about it? I think it's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So if we Wouldn't go, would be a weird coincidence if Resurrection Day, the day we all celebrate, a lot of us, happens to be the day. Well, here's 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 yeah, that would be cool. But I want to point something out to you. In Luke twenty four one, it says, "On the first day of the week, 
very early in the morning. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every gospel agrees that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning. So again, is it wrong to set aside a time and say, hey, we're going to set aside this date um, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? I don't have a problem with that. I'm saying even the Jews have these special dates that they celebrate. Right, holidays. And, and coincidentally, they seem to be very significant. Well, and and again, the the Bible makes it ab- abundantly clear that God did set aside times for the Jews to celebrate certain things. And, and so there was a, a year-round calendar. But I got to go. Hey, thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number. We're coming up on a break. And, um, but that, the question is, is, is a, is a kind of an important question in the sense of, well, why, why do we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Why does at least Western civilization set aside a particular date? after the spring solstice to celebrate the resurrection. I'll I'll tell you why when we come back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. It just sort of leads me to that, you know, when I was talking with Matthew about um, Easter and when we ask about the date and why does it matter, Easter always occurs on the first Sunday after the Paschal full moon. That's the first full moon that occurs after the vernal equinox, which signifies the beginning of spring in the Northern hemisphere. And so as I was alluding to, The four Gospels make it clear that Jesus was crucified in conjunction with the Jewish Passover. It says that in Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 19. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? In Mark chapter 14, verse 12, it says, and on the first day of unleavened bread, unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Um, you know, where would you have us go and prepare and eat the Passover? Luke 22, 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread. John eighteen twenty eight. They came to Caiaphas's house. They themselves didn't enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So the four Gospels all make it clear that Jesus is raised from the dead three days later on the first day of the week. Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, John's Gospel, all of them say that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So on our calendar, that would be Sunday. In other words, in the Jewish way of reckoning, Shabbat is from sundown to sundown on Saturday. 
So biblically speaking, the resurrection should be celebrated on the first Sunday after the Jewish Passover meal, but that's not the case. There was a roaring debate about calendars, and for many, many decades, people thought that it was important to celebrate certain things at certain times. So the method, like I said, of determining the date of Easter results in Easter being before Passover and or displaced far from Passover. So Easter can potentially be be observed anywhere between um, March 22nd and April 25th. So like I said, in church history, there was a significant amount of debate on when Easter should be observed. And um, I might talk a little bit about that too, about the origins of Easter um, later on in the broadcast. We're going to be having Trevor Loudon on in the next hour, and um, we're going to be talking about his uh, film, uh, Enemies Within the Church, um, at the top of the hour. But having said that, dating Easter in conjunction with the vernal equinox and the full moon had nothing to do with the biblical account of Jesus's resurrection or the Passover. The only thing that is explicitly biblical regarding when Easter observed is the fact that Easter is always on Sunday. Now, again, from a calendar standpoint, um, is it always on Sunday? The obvious answer is if you are turning back time, then the days are going to fall on a different date, just like your birthday might be on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday. So let me see if I can slip another call in. 303-873-1935. Chris, welcome hey, to the Hey, Gino, what do you think? Um, um, a local pastor, God bless him, he's a wonderful man. Um, I could name him if you want to, but... Um, he is of the opinion that the rapture timing is pre-wrath, which you and I, you and I would think uh, would agree on, and that he's saying that it's possible that in the first three and a half years, it's the Antichrist who persecutes us, and there is a mid-tribulation rapture. And he uses the scripture from Second Thessalonians chapter two. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I think that there's obviously there's people who hold this view. I'm not one of them. Um, there are three basic theories, like what you just talked about. There's a pre-tribulational rapture, a mid-tribulational rapture, a post-tribulational rapture. Some Somewhat closely related to mid-tribulationism is what is, was an article, or not an article, but a belief that was that took hold in the 1960s and 70s called pre-wrath. And you read the scripture to us. Well, there's no specific scripture that says Second Thessalonians chapter two. Could you read it to us, my friend? Well, I mean, 
it's kind of heavy, man. I mean, it's really heavy. I mean, I was pre-trib until about two months ago when Jeff Schwarzenegger put out this. Uh, yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. I don't think is verse. The, yeah, chapter. It says Second Thessalonians chapter two. Yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter two isn't what I would think is the strongest argument for their position, but I will read it. Um, It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of uh, the Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask not to be shaken either in mind or troubled uh, in spirit or word or by letter as it is from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you? I told you these things. The reference that he's making in that passage is to first. Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. So the pre-wrath theory says that the rapture occurs before the great day of wrath. That's Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. Okay. So according to the pre-wrath view, believers go through most of the tribulation, but not the time of God's wrath just before the end of the tribulation. So that's called like a mid mid-tribulation... Well, again, uh, it's a, it's what, what I would call a species, uh, or a, a, it's, a, it's a species of a mid-tribulational view. So here's the idea. The idea is that the church endures Satan's fury and man's persecution, but, he, there, but we're spared God's wrath before God pours hey. out his final judgment on the world. The, the church is caught up. And we agree on that, um... Do you think no we'll no no actually we don't agree if 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 you say no, we you agree and I agree that we're not going to see God's wrath we're children of God I mean God saved Noah through the he, he didn't God didn't pour out his wrath on Noah I mean we agree on that well, yeah in other words I agree that whatever the timing is that God's that that the church doesn't experience God's wrath. Yeah. We know that. We agree on that. Um, the argument is this, is that the first three and a half years is Antichrist persecution, and you and I both know that Jesus told us we'd be persecuted. Just for his name's sake, we'd be persecuted. And that the first three and a half years may be persecution, and then the final three and a half years is God's wrath, and we get raptured out right before that. Right. There's hundreds of millions of people who are being persecuted right at this very moment. Absolutely. There so is. so to, to, to argue that Christians aren't persecuted, that's kind of absurd. No, the argument is this. Um, okay, pre-trib and mid-trib. So pre-trib is that we don't see but any look, of the seven years. Yeah, but I, I got to go, but let me just g- give you a little nugget. And that is that that the pre-wrath theory is teaching that the first seal judgments aren't the wrath of God. But I got to go. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.